Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. This is the Market Report for the week commencing the 13th of May. Um, Andrew's on holiday this week, so you've got me, myself, it's, uh, it's Ian. But I'll be giving you a quick rundown uh, of all the commodities in his absence. So I'll start off with wheat. It's been it's been quite a quiet run recently. The old crop market, if I start with that, has been oversupplied. Um, the May May and June, there's a saturation in the market. There's lots of trade sellers, everyone trying to sell physical wheat, but very few trade bids. Consumers aren't in the market, and it's um, it's creating a bit of a backlog. And there is an oversupply of wheat over the May and June months. This could be a different story when we get to July, but we're, we've got to uh, wait and see what happens. Time will tell on that one. May futures, which I'm sure you're all aware and keep keep a beady eye on, um, they're coming off the board in a very short period of time, so it's getting very, very technical in this uh, tail end. And it's the sort of classic, well, we refer to almost like a game of poker. It's the tender game. There's a 500 lot open interest. It's going to be really interesting over the coming week to see what happens with that and uh, and where it's from and who who tenders and and who doesn't. So uh, yeah, one to watch. But it but it is quite quiet this um this old crop. Um, if you have got anything left to move, I I can't see any real gold at the end of the tunnel at the moment. So we're prompting people to uh, shift out on the old crop. New crop new crop's been drifting lower unfortunately we've we've seen the uh, the return of some rains which has been well needed some of the irrigators which we've seen up here in norfolk have been parked temporarily crop potential's got to say they they're now looking good again and we're we're feeling a bit more confident about good crop potential there are no crop upsets around the world there's no issue to date which is having a bit of a bearish slant on the market if I talk about the wider grains complex, the significant factor that could influence the wheat price is the corn plantings. Every Monday evening, there's a crop planting progress report, which I'm sure several of you are aware of. Last week's numbers came out at 23% planted versus 46% as the five-year average. So US growers are miles behind their plantings and they're getting should be getting quite nervous about getting it in the ground. The real question that that it then asks is, um, will the US growers switch into corn? If they do, with the funds being record short of of corn, all of a sudden you could see a um, buyer's absolute steam into the market and cover their shorts, which would aggressively filter over into wheat. We've still got a couple of weeks of this story to go, so we're, we'll intently watch every Monday evening to see what the uh, the numbers bring about. And on top of the fundamentals, we've seen Donald Trump's been up to his usual tricks. Politics is playing a, a very big game in uh, in grain markets at the moment. As of this morning, when I'm recording this, is the, the Friday before uh, it gets launched, the tariffs or Donald's pushed the tariffs from 10% to 25% on Chinese um on Chinese exports, which instantly had uh, a very negative impact on 
all commodities. I mean, specifically, it was soybeans because it being the major commodity that that goes to China. But um, the spillover was onto corn and the wheat markets as general negativity. Going back to the S&Ds, though, there is a, uh, we always enjoy this, a USDA report this evening, global S&Ds. The last few reports, I've got to say, have been a bit flat, a bit um, nondescript, slightly bearish. The funds, as I just mentioned, are record short, so kind of will will there be anything there to spook the funds? Will the funds um, jump in? We'll, we'll have to wait and see, but by the time of uh, this going out, we'll um, have that information, so we'll uh, see you next week. So if I uh, move on to malting barley, it, it has been quiet malting barley-wise. Uh, old crop feed values are in the doldrums still, unfortunately, big discounts to the wheat market. About 123x farm, limited demand, not much more I can say about that really. New crop, 115 for harvest, again, dis- good discounts to wheat. Can't see anything yet really to drive that, so I think that's one to uh, depart for the time being. If we talk about malting barley, though, there's still a lot of uncertainty about quality of the, of the crops that are in the ground. Big question, did the rains come in time for the winter barleys? There's a lot of um, question marks over that. But again, not too much to say. We'll have to wait till we get closer to harvest and, and understand the uh, the quality of these uh, crops that are in the ground before we can really comment uh, with any real sort of clarity. Lastly, rapeseeds. It's been a, it has been a flat market. It's been a market that has been fighting between very, very bullish rapeseed fundamentals versus quite a bearish soybean outlook and, and general bearishness of the global oils complex. African swine fever in China. The Chinese have stated there's 40% cull of, of their, their hogs, which is very significant. Is 40% accurate? There's a lot of um, uncertainty over that. But as a result, the demand for soybeans is massively reduced. So it's um, it's filtering into the whole soybean market. Rapeseed is trading a huge premium to soybeans. So at the moment, with the negative just soybean market, it's going to very much keep a lid on the rapeseed market for the time being. If I talk specifically about rapeseed, the European crop is is figured to be between 18 and 19 million tonnes. A lot of uncertainty at the moment as with the stage of the growing year. This is a huge downgrade on last year, up to well, a million tonne downgrade. So there is positivity when we talk about rates of seed in its own rights. If I talk about values, old crop is hovering around the 300 mark, maybe a couple of quid firm than that. New crop trading around about a similar value, just about make 300 again. Logistically, this is not always the easiest thing to do, but some growers are considering carrying rapeseed into next year. I can perfectly understand that there there are some quite bullish fundamentals and we've all talked about flea beetle and how tight next year's crop could be does that work cash flow wise logistics i don't know but i think that there there is a realistic prospect that several will carry what they've got left into next year and again the donald trump uh, saga i've just mentioned it earlier relating it to corn but it is very pronounced with the soybean market the the uh, dispute still goes on it's keeping real pressure on the bean market. But on top of that, Canada and China are still battling over the Huawei dispute. Canadian canola is, is very, very unlikely to go over to China, which is causing, well, could cause a problem for the Chinese. Currently, the, the biggest crop of seed that comes into Europe to fill our shortfall is Ukrainian, which currently China have an embargo over. If the Chinese decide to lift the embargo, then all of a sudden a lot of Chinese 
a lot of Ukrainian, sorry, imports into Europe may well disappear and head over to China, which displaces that demand, which could see quite a spike in European um, seed values. So that will be one to, to watch out for. But again, another political uncertainty that we'll have to watch out for. So that wraps up for this week and uh, Andrew will be back in the hot seat next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single variety cold pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for our feature. Today, Andrew went to meet with Nick Hood, who is a mixed farmer, having cattle and arable on his farm near Norwich. Andrew did have some interference on this recording, so apologies for the slightly abrupt start and a short spell of phone interference during the interview. Today, I've got with me Nick Hood. I've read something on, on your Twitter page, which is mm. Steak Rare Please, is it? Steak Rare Please, yes. Yeah, now, you know, which you know puts you immediately in the meat-producing line. The, the, the point I think you've made about carbon capture, just, just talk me through the... Yeah, well, there's... Um... The well, the beef market and some of the grass-fed livestock like sheep are is starting to try and differentiate itself at the sort of premium end. And there is, and that's on a couple of things. One is the slow-growing nature of grass-fed animals. You know, they're slower than more intensively fed. Um, and the other is the more environmental angle um, of you know sequestering, capturing carbon. Um, which grass-fed systems, you know, are proven to do. You know, they are they are essentially the cow obviously emits some carbon yep. itself. Um, it's burping and, and farting. It's burping, farting, and processing the grass out the back end. Yeah, which which, which everyone's claiming you know, it's methane. The world's going to end because of cows. Yeah. But there's a there is another point to this, which yeah, is which which is you're promoting more vegetation growth and carbon capture from the atmosphere than you are emitting. So the the calculation is positive in a grass fed low input system. Yeah. So if you actually which, just got them know, out on fields, yeah. that couldn't be used for anything else whatsoever. Yeah. The point too simplistic. The arguments you get from the yeah. especially the, the the big noises on social media who you know some of the ones who work for the BBC who we know well, yeah. but you know that is too simplistic. And it's ironic that, not that I wish ill on the more intensively fed, you know, white meats like chicken and, and pigs, but crikey, that, you know, that, that when you see a field of cows or a damn great hill in Scotland of sheep, it doesn't make you feel like they're doing harm to the environment. You know, just the whole thing is it's a much more gentle way of farming. <laughs> and, and, and it is proven that it, that it is... That it is um, yeah, environmentally more friendly. The integration of the livestock, one, putting uh, organic matter back into our, uh, our soils, and which, which is you know, t- taking pressure away from artificial fertilisers and mm. sort of stimulants. Oil-based. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and two, I think long-term there is something on the, on the beef production to, you know, be in a different system, be it organic or grass-fed or whatever it might be, mm. um, that is a that, that can be marketed and produce a premium. I and think. accepted by a, a yeah, a, and a, I think people will, there will be a segment liberal. in the market that really recognises yep. it going forward. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what else have you done to diversify? Now we, you know, we're all diversifying nowadays, aren't we? What are you, what are you doing? Well, it's, 
on the farming front, we're, we're contractors as well. So we've got <coughs> um, two, two regular neighbour customers who are sort of farmers who are getting older, still active farmers, but they're not doing everything on their farm. They're doing, doing the bits they like, basically. So we're doing most of the arable work with them. And we do other jobs for other farmers and a couple of other companies as well. So that's quite important for us to justify the two guys I employ and the, you know, the replacement of machinery. Mm-hmm. So that's the other farming bit. Um, the other bit in terms of on diversification, we're only three or four miles from Norwich, um, and we had lots of nice, well, not lots, but two or three nice old barns. So we've gradually converted them in the last 10 years, two of them. We've got another one hopefully we'll be doing next year. I can get the uh, local council on side, um, and th- that's worked well. The people like to live on a farm. It's still a working farm next door. There's still cows and the odd tractor going past, and people like that. But it's close to employment and where they need to go in the you know in their day to day life as well. So that's been a real success. Quite a big, quite a big investment, but um, it's worked well for us and given us a sort of nice income away from agriculture. And and obviously it's good for the balance sheet as well you know you've, yeah, well, made, inve- you've, made, a, you've made a liability an asset yeah <laughs> uh, an in, investment that goes up in more yeah. as much as your investment plus doesn't it yeah exactly, on the yeah. books which which if you're going to keep hold of it is that's that's the message that we've yeah. that we've put out before and, and and there are obviously that's the obvious thing for farmers to do and a number of them are doing it there's some yeah. of them have to tidy you live in a very pretty spot um so it's it, it naturally yeah. enhanced by it some people yeah. have to kind of glamorize up there you know maybe take an ugly asbestos clad building out in order to achieve yeah, something that's right but um it's definitely very much on the up is no, it and, our, and the, our sort of geography is dictated that's been the right thing for us if we were next to a, you know the broads or some really pretty areas or the coast tourism and other mm-hmm. things come into play but i think there's yeah there could be other things as well as residential in the future we talk about leisure and yeah sort of fitness phase and things like that so who, who knows what other assets could be turned into other things if you know when we're not we're not using them for agricultural purposes yeah no well you've got to keep your eyes open yeah you're absolutely. young enough to to still have that uh, oomph to do it aren't yeah, you 16 years to go to get the average yeah well indeed well <laughs> I, I set my business up two years older than you are now so yeah there you go exactly. there's a recommendation um <laughs> What else do you do? Well, leading question. Um, <laughs> I'm involved, chairman of Year Grain for a few years now, mm-hmm. um, which is the uh, central store at Cantley, which uh, we're involved with we're fairly heavily. Yeah. Involved with Year Grain on that, doing the marketing and organising of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I sort of lead the board, which is mainly well, sort of half made up of far- well, mainly made up of farmers actually, mm. and with obviously yourself and Ian as well. Um, and we've got Leslie, who's a sort of half farmer, and you know, with Leslie, you're a full farmer. Oh, sorry, not half farmer. <laughs> That's unfair, Leslie. But yeah, no, you're a full farmer. But you've got you know banking and the finance experience. And mm. We've got a nice balance on the board, and uh, that's an interesting, yeah, interesting part of my life, really. Yeah, great. So, you're, an observation, like you know, how do you feel about the overflowing AGMs? <laughs> yes. Well, I think the sign, the sign in farming, you're doing quite a good job, is no one gives you any hassle. In fact, yeah. no one turns up at all, hardly. I think we had record attendance the last day, Jim. Like five, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, we, if you, if you yeah. ever want to fill the room, then fail. We uh, always have enough cakes and uh, biscuits and scones for about 30. Yeah, good so, Ireland, so, yeah. yeah, if you want to come mob handed one year, I think we'll handle it. But yeah. No, yeah, grain's going well. Um, it sort of started as a, you know, when you asked me to get involved. Back in 2010, I think mm-hmm. um, it felt like a good idea, uh, without really knowing what it was going to look like. And 
yeah, it's become we, one. We've, we've sold 20,000 tonnes, over yeah, 20,000 tonnes of storage yeah. to farmers. And, and in the last month, we've just sold a further 1,500, haven't we? That's right, yeah. Which, to me, you know, it, it's, a, it's a slow growth. It's not something we're really pushing on people, and it feels like you're repeating the same story. Mm. I mean, obviously, I'm involved at Ailsham um, Grain as well, which, which also is a storage, but they're actually a, a cooperative. But it's, it's a story that once people come and join it, they realise the benefits of it more once they're in than when they're sitting from the That's outside. That's right. It is quite hard to sell because there are absolutely lots of benefits you can have. I mean, f- for us, well, not for us, but for us and other farmers I know who use it, it's obviously the obvious ones like speed of movement at harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is a place if you're on, if you've got limited uh, resources at home, uh, you can you can move your grain and keep the combine running. Which we've had a, we've had a kind couple of harvests now, but we can see another tricky one again mm-hmm. where the windows are short and you've got to keep keep things moving. Um, it's, so as well as uh, the site, the last investment we did on the processing unit and the intake, mm-hmm. it, I forget I forget what the tons per hour is, but it's it's good for hauliers as well. So you if you've got five hundred tons sitting there, like some of the some of the bigger operators have after a big day, they can have it shifted by lunchtime. Combine starts at one o'clock and there's another five hundred goes in onto their floor, ready to move to year grain or or some of it move that day. So the speed of efficiency of the site and what we've spent our money on has, has made the difference. It's over four hundred tons an hour intake capacity. Yeah, thank you. I knew that's a which big is number. which is it's changed just a trouble. Yeah, the, 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 the slow bit is getting yeah. lorries to get get out of the way and put the next one on yeah. but it's it's uh without doubt it's that is what makes the difference harvest movement is harvest na- movement's the big one the obvious one but actually as you get in more involved in it, it there's things like um we're talking about diversification and sort of the opportunity costs of some of your assets at home and you know where you've been piling up wheat for 40 years maybe that isn't the best place to do with that, oh you maybe. mean the bit with no aeration and uh, <laughs> yeah, and, the one, and, yeah. and the hole in yeah, the corner yeah. of the shed where yeah. the rats walk in that's the one we ring you up in november can you do something with this yeah no so well it's, it's so, food, so, food so we're safety. an example they've taken buildings out yeah that we were putting grain and things in and uh and it's much better to outsource to doing grain in fact i'm not entirely sure i can do it cheaper than we can do it during grain anyway you have to have a fairly all yeah, singing dancing modern store to do it cheaper yeah, yeah. um the, uh the other one the other one I like personally is is being involved in the supply chain. You know, we're we're not just farm gate sellers. We're farm gate plus a store that's got futures. Um, we're doing uh, the, the multi, specialist malting barley. Contracts. Yeah, we we wouldn't have those prices or those contracts if you didn't yeah. have a collect and a reputation and the facilities to colour sorts. You know, all of the things that you won't have on the farm. Yeah. And you know, if it's a wet harvest and you need to combine because there's a big storm coming, you know that you're going to turn up there and the dryer's going to work because yeah. it's been serviced by full time employees. All of those things are seamless. And you know, at harvest time, guess when the dryer breaks down. <laughs> doesn't break down when you're not using it. Usually when you turn it on. <laughs> and that's the yeah. point. It's All of these things are taken for granted. But it has. It gets farmer, It gets us, you know, we're normally on first base of the supply chain. It gets us to second base and more involvement, more options, mm-hmm. more selling options um, of timings and all those sort of things. And also, you know, once your lorry or trailer has gone over that way bridge and they've got the thumbs up, it's in. You know, yeah, I, well, out, out, I think time is the is the biggest issue. For, is from a yeah. dis, from looking at it from a, the other side of the fence, outsourcing the work there's, at the moment. There's a massive wheat being outloaded by farmers. This is the month they sell it for, 
And we had a classic this morning where a, 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 a haulier phoned up and said, I'm afraid I've been rejected at a Maltings. I'm not going to be able to turn up at X farm to pick up the next load because I've got a distress load on, on back. So we picked up the phone to the farmer who absolutely went off the deep end. It's like, yeah, it's This is the reality of when you have to load grain. It's not anyone's fault other than someone supplied something that wasn't up to spec, but the time messing around for that person, the irritation, the thing he could have done, whatever he was planning to do, all of those things, stress, angst, annoyance, sweeping, I don't know, whatever it takes for him to be allowed to get cross, that happens every single day because hauliers get rejected or they get punctures or they whatever. And, And all of those things add up to quite a lot of time. Yeah. And that that is free to do something profitable. Yeah, and no, that's right. Well, we took the opportunity cost. I think, and I think it's the it's having it in the mix. You know, we've got small. You know, we've got relatively small farmers and some council tenants who are, mm. who are members, and we've got bigger state scale farmers mm. who do a very professional job themselves with thousands of tons. But the next thousand they needed, they didn't build a store. They've they've come to us, and that's great. It puts a bit of flexibility into their business. Mm, absolutely. When, even they stress and strain. You know, when we're, we're during harvest, especially when it gets tricky, and they've got that outlet if they need it. So well, there's lots of reasons to be there. Yeah, I know yeah. I'm doing a bit of a selling job, but I, I you know believe in it because we've benefited. You know, I've yeah, I'm, I'm a bit for the last ten years really. Having a bit of a year grain fest there. Why don't we join yeah. in? So we'll, sorry, we'll no. <laughs> Sorry, no. Well, we're 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 happy, and it's succeeded, and it's yeah. So so anyway, I think, that one. Yeah. there's 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 other things, aren't there? I mean, the, the potential now to do something. If we've got a magic new product, we've got a site that we could do it on, and we've got a natural collective people who are part of the group already. Yeah. Things like that. I think so, and I think yes. And looking at farming for the next ten years, well, you know, there's going to be a squeeze on profit and efficiency, subsidies disappearing. We're actually under quite a lot of attack on some of our core crops and some of the actives and you know protections we have with seed dressings and various things on sugar beet and cereals. You know we we're ready for a, a new whatever it might be specialist crop, especially a break crop that could come in and and that that site there's plenty of room there. Like you said, we've got ten thousand tons space still. It doesn't have to be wheat futures store or barley stores it can be something else if that makes more sense so yeah well, now listen, we've got a good core of farmers there we can make those decisions with people like you know with with you on the sort of marketing end so yeah so when we come up with us our secret project we'll bring, yeah. it, bring it to the air grain members first <laughs> so optimistic for the future uh yeah cautiously optimistic it's, it's easy to get down at the moment we do feel as a group of farmers and you know i'm a bit of a twitterer and so mm. you can sort of feel it on that to degree as a you know sort of the farmers social media twitter in a way 140 carol was 280 and i think that's quite enough mm. for us um but there is a feeling of being under attack you know we've talked about the, <laughs> the shooting of <laughs> magpies and uh, pigeons you know that's, that's i'm sure that'll sort itself out but there it is like Everything's just getting knocked, just getting knocked, you know, a bit. It's knocking in our traditional way of doing things. Maybe not a bad thing. It's going to make us sharpen up and think of other ways of doing it. But, yeah, so it's easy to get down, but actually I think we're going to be okay. I think there's enough going. This country. We've got a lot of good things in this country that I think we can get a hold of. So finally, would you, would you recommend farming as an occupation for your children then? Yeah, broadly, yes. I, I sort of... I think my job, and I'm sure a lot of people think similarly, is to make a business that's interesting enough that my children, one of my children perhaps, might want to be involved in it. 
Yeah, I don't think there's an automatic rule. That's, your, that's yours. I'll, I'll get to 65, pack up, which, although I won't. I'll hang around being a pain in the neck for the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, and you, you'll come back and do it. No, I want to create something that they would, you know, that spikes their interest, really. Mm. They want to do it. If they don't want to do it, I think farming's going to become a different place and there'll be plenty of people who can do the hard work for you, said to a degree. But um, it'd be good that they can see value in it and interest a, in it. A good, it is a, happy life. It's a good industry mm. to be in in many ways. Generally, people pay you. Generally, people like you. You get on with people. You make good relationships. It's it's a it's an enjoyable place to work. I've worked in a few other places that probably aren't quite so enjoyable, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's good. That's Nick, my view on it. Thank you so much. I I I, I uh, hoodwinked. I was going to say. <laughs> I, I, you know, captured you this morning just before a meeting you do to have to do this podcast. I really appreciate you you dropping everything and doing it. So, Nick, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm glad to be your ordinary farmer. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>
Agreed. Yeah, quite quite impressive. Um, but funnily enough, yeah, you and I picked it out straight away. Although, although saying that, Ben, it's, it actually is technically not non-alcoholic. So it's zero point five percenter. So you better uh, go a bit steady on them, Ben. Knowing your performance in yeah. in past, but no, I'm, I'm uh, yeah pleased with that. So that's quite a good uh, good little blind taster there. And yeah, we both uh, got what it takes to be. What would you call beer it? sommeliers? A beer sommelier. I mean, that, that does lead us into next week's feature, haven't we? Oh, yeah. We've got Bruce Ash from Norfolk Brewhouse, who is a beer sommelier. I think he better watch out, Webby. I think you could do that job. <laughs> now, just following on, we are going to do as well. We're going to do the burger test later uh, later in the week. It's a bit disappointing, but we planned this last night, and I'd kind of read myself up to come in. I was going to have burgers for breakfast, so I was. <laughs> Oh, so you're hungry. Yeah, it was a burger and a pint for breakfast, so um, that would have made my day. But yeah, we'll push that back for another week. The interesting additive is the beetroot juice to make the burger bleed. Do you know, I was completely unaware of that until 10 minutes ago. And it's fascinating the lengths that people have gone to to imitate a burger. I'm, I've got to say, I'm against it. I think if you're eating a vegetarian burger, for all the right reasons, really, I, th- I agree with you know, reducing our meat intake, but... Then why make it look like a burger? Are you I sure know, I you, agree, against, you, sure you agree on reducing meat intake, Webby? Because looking at you... I love a burger. I you're do the love man, meat. You're I the man that eats sausages meat. as an in-between snack. <laughs> so I did put in the meat order with Abby in our office, and she's uh, not married into yet, but um, family butchery, and uh, yeah, had a massive... Um, Sausage fest. Yeah, 20-odd sausages, uh, a big brisket, and a, um, a pork belly. And, and that mean, was lunch. Yeah, we nailed it in one sitting, so it was... Uh, yeah. um, okay, but I, I get your point, yeah. You know, why... It, if it's a veggie burger, it should be a veggie burger. But there is this attraction with, with meat. There is. We all enjoy meat, but why brand something as meat when it's not? That's my issue, and I, I, I can morally... I think it is the right thing to do. We have got a, um, a bit of an issue, generally, with meat production, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I... I agree with reducing meat consumption, but I still think I like meat, and I think it's not a bad thing no, I agree. for the economy in general. Yeah. Um, yes, animals don't need to be mistreated, but in the UK, animal welfare standards and in Europe are, are, are good. Mm. Okay, so I, I think we definitely will do our blind test, um, Webby. Uh, we'll get a nice sunny day next week. Mm. Josh, Josh is a pro on the barbecue, isn't he? Yeah, Josh is good on the barbecue. We'll let him do it and we'll just go from there. Might even get to blow the top of a frosty one as well at the same time. That's the beer. Yeah, okay. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.